So, uh, like Jody mentioned, we're in uh, a chapter of our book um, that deals with the story of the prodigal. Um, the, the chapter in the book is actually chapter 52. It's the last book, the last chapter of our book. Um, but we started in uh, chapter 27 uh, earlier in the year. And so we'll come back around starting next week and we'll finish um, around February going through this book. Um, some of you have got it. Some of you still need to get it. Um, they're very short, short chapters, but uh, we walk through one per week. And it's uh, Brian McLaren's We Make the Road by Walking. And if you uh, need help purchasing that, let us know. We can make sure you get one. But it's a, it's a great book and it, it ties in um, each week to what we're doing here. But the title of the chapter is actually called God in the End. And I wonder if you've ever wondered what God is going to be like in the end. Like what is earth going to be like in the end? Last week, pretty heavy message if you were here. The message may have challenged some of you to reconsider what you thought about the end. We, we walked through a little bit of, uh, of the book of Revelation. But today I want to I revisit a story that we all know or most of us know, and I want us to again reconsider the end. Like any great story, we need to read ourselves into the story. We resonate, we, we, we um, relate to a character in each story, and, and we begin to see ourselves through the eyes of that character. And so as we retell a very familiar story today, that's what I want you to do. There are two characters specifically, two brothers or two sons. They could be two sisters or two daughters. That doesn't matter. But I want you to find one of the two that you identify the most with. And through the use of video, like we saw already and a few others to come, through spoken word, through story, through um, worship and song, we're going to recreate the scene found in Luke chapter 15. So if you have a Bible Turn with me there, and I'm going to set up the larger story with, with two shorter stories that Jesus shares there. The first is called the story of the lost sheep. It says in verse 1 of chapter 15, By this time, a lot of men and women of doubtful reputation were hanging around Jesus. So already some of us have found our place in the story. <laughs> Sorry, just me. The rest of us, the Pharisees and religion scholars, were not pleased at all. They growled, it says. He takes in sinners and eats meals with them, treating them like old friends. They, their grumbling triggered this story. Jesus says, suppose one of you had a hundred sheep and lost one. Wouldn't you leave the 99 in the wilderness and go after the lost one until you found it? When found, you can be sure you would... Put it across your shoulders, rejoicing. And when you got home, call in your friends and neighbors saying, celebrate with me. I found my lost sheep. Count on it. There's more joy in heaven over one sinner's rescued life than over 99 good people and no need of rescue. And then he tells another story in verse 8. It says, imagine a woman who has 10 coins and loses one. Won't she light a lamp and scour the house, looking in every nook and cranny until she finds it? And when she finds it, you can be sure she'll call her friends and neighbors, celebrate with me. I found my lost coin. Count on it, Jesus says. That's the kind of party God's angels throw every time one lost soul turns to God. And then the story of the prodigal. 
So that's the story that perhaps we're all used to hearing about the lost son or daughter who makes a decision to leave, to go off. The rebellious son who wished his father was dead so that he could have what was coming to him, the the inheritance, he wanted it now. And the son goes off and he, he parties and he runs out of money, right? And then he comes crawling back home and he finds a father who still loves him. And the lost son has returned. And like the opening song said, Lift your head, weary sinner, the river's just ahead. Down the path of forgiveness, salvation's waiting there. You build a mighty fortress, 10,000 burdens high. Love is here to lift you up, here to lift you high. If you're lost and wandering, come stumbling in like a prodigal child. All who have strayed and walked away, unspeakable things you've done, fix your eyes on the mountain and let the past be dead and gone. I've heard this story so many times. If you've grown up in this faith tradition, you've probably heard it too. But the way it was taught to me, I bet taught to you in Sunday school or on the flannel graph. How many remember the flannel graph, right? I think we missed something very critical because many of us, we, re- we relate to the younger son. We get it. But when we make the story just about the younger brother, well, that's not how the story ends. You see, I now understand after so many years and times looking at this message that this falls short in communicating the message that Jesus was trying to communicate. When he told that story that day and that Luke included in his gospel. If you remember, Jesus had two groups of people in that crowd that morning, right? Those of bad reputation, the sinners, the prostitutes, the tax collectors, it said. But there were also another group, right? The religious people who had gathered to hear what he had to say. And Jesus was very aware of who was in the crowd. And the story continued, and we're going to jump to verse 25. And it says this, All this time his older son was out in the field. When the day's work was done, he came in, and as he approached the house, he heard the music and the dancing. Calling over one of the houseboys, he asked what was going on. He told him, well, your brother has come home. Your father has ordered a feast. He, he barbecued the beef because he has him home safe and sound. Well, the older brother stalked off in an angry sulk and refused to join in. His father came out and tried to talk to him, but he wouldn't listen. The son said, look, how many years have I stayed here serving you? Never giving you one moment of grief. But have you ever thrown a party for me or my friends? But this, this son of yours who has thrown away your money on whores shows up and you go all out with a feast. And his father said, son, you don't understand. 
You're with me all the time and everything that is mine is yours. But this is a wonderful time. We had to celebrate. Your, the brother of yours was dead and he's alive. He was lost and he's found. Even when we add that piece to the story, on, on the surface, this doesn't seem very challenging, right? You see, the Pharisees, they love this story. They're like, get him, Jesus. That lost sheep, lost coin, lost son. Typical sinners, right? Always wandering off and getting lost. Come to Jesus, get saved, turn from your wicked ways, get your life straight, you heathens, repent. It wasn't difficult for the Pharisees, the religious people, to find their place in the story. They were the older brother, right? They spent their entire life doing God's work. They lived a good life. They never wandered off. They never got lost. And it wasn't so much that they found their identity in the older brother as much as they distanced themselves from the younger one, right? Like, I'm definitely not the younger son. I would never do that. I've never done that. And you can imagine that moment from Luke 15. Jesus is telling the story. The crowd is gathered in. The church people are looking around at the other ones that were there. The homeless woman over there. The dark-skinned man, the transgender person, the migrant worker, the single mom. You know, the rest of the others at the church have traditionally lumped into the category of, of broken and damaged and lost. But were they really the lost in that story? Were they the ones that Jesus was talking to? The word prodigal means wasteful. Was the younger son really being wasteful. I mean, what are you supposed to do with money, right? Spend it. I mean, you know, like I don't plan to leave anything to my kids, right? But if I did, I want to see them use it, right? I wanted to see them enjoy it. So I'm not sure that this kid going on a wild vacation was actually lost, right? Like I think he knew exactly where he was. I don't believe the father considered him lost because he knew what he was, what he was doing, what did the shepherd do when he realized his sheep was lost? What did he do? That's your turn. What did he do? He went after him, right? He went out looking for him. What did the woman do when she realized the coin was lost? She looked for it, right? Well, what did the father do when his younger son wandered off? He, he didn't do anything. He stayed at home, right? He didn't go off looking for him. You see, the story of the prodigal son is not about a younger son who turns and runs from the father and becomes lost. But about an older brother who gets so wrapped up in performance and religion and living right that he misses out on what it's all about. The essential message of Jesus, Stan Mitchell says this, why most Christians and other religious folk will enter the kingdom last well, since prodigal means wasteful, the youngest of the two famous biblical brothers was not the prodigal son. The reason are, are so clear in the story, especially in the light of Jesus' other's teachings. As the story reads, the younger son demanded, was given, and then spent his entire inheritance in dissolute living. The story makes it plain that as a result of his lifestyle, he becomes penniless or financially poor. 
And as a result of his fiscal poverty, he fortunately becomes poor in spirit. And to employ the words of Jesus from the Sermon on the Mount, because of his poverty, he was blessed. His spending had purchased for him the remembrance of who and whose he was. The father, understanding the process well, willingly gave his youngest son the inheritance due to him. In other words, he not only accepted the son's decision to leave, he financed the trip. When the younger brother came home, the father received him with open arms, covering the boy's sin with a father's love and healing the boy's shame by throwing him a huge party. At some point in the party, though, the father realized his oldest son was missing or lost, and he went searching for him. Like the lost coin and the lost sheep in the stories before, the lost one is the one searched for. When the father found his missing son, he asked why the oldest of his boys was not home celebrating the return of the kid brother. And this is when the elder brother makes it clear which of the two was actually prodigal or wasteful. Pouting that his younger brother's journey has been accepted and forgiven, his return celebrated and his identity as a son affirmed, And as he complained that the father had never thrown him a party in spite of the fact that he had been slaving for the old man his entire life. The father described who was truly the most lost and prodigal of the two sons. Pleadingly, he explained to his boy, son, your whole life has been a party and you have slept through it. Everything I have has has ever and always been yours and you have seen yourself as my slave. He says to spend everything in order to finally understand who you are. That's not wasteful. But to starve for love and identity in the middle of a lifelong party thrown in your honor. Now that is wasteful. See, today's message is simple. It's the message of the gospel and the gospel is simple. It's a simple gospel message. It's a story of a God who loves you. And there is nothing you could do or not do that could change that. In Romans 8, it says, so what do you think? With God on our side like this, how can we lose? If God didn't hesitate to put everything on the line for us, embracing our condition and exposing himself to the worst by sending his own son, is there anything else he wouldn't gladly and freely do for us? And who would dare tangle with God by messing with one of God's chosen? Who would dare even uh, to point a finger? The one who died for us, who was raised to life for us, is in the presence of God at this very moment sticking up for us. Do you think anyone is going to be able to drive a wedge between us and Christ's love for us? There is no way. Not trouble, not hard times, not hatred, not hunger, not homelessness, not bullying threats, not backstabbing, not even the worst sins listed in Scripture. It says they kill us in cold blood because they hate you, that we're sitting ducks. They pick us off one by one, but none of this phases us because Jesus loves us. And I'm absolutely convinced that nothing, nothing living or dead, angelic or demonic, today or tomorrow, high or low, thinkable or unthinkable, absolutely nothing can get between us and God's love because of the way that Jesus, the master, has embraced us. See, this is a story not of two sons, 
but an invitation to be loved that is wrapped in an embrace of a father. The God in the beginning is the God in the end. And the message has been the same to come. So for those of us that have lived a life like the younger son, we have the war stories. We have our regrets. The song says, all who have strayed and walked away, unspeakable things you've done. Fix your eyes on the mountain. Let the past be dead and gone. Come lift your head, weary sinner. The river's just ahead. Down the path to forgiveness. Salvation's waiting there. And for those of us who have spent our entire life trying to do religion, we've been on a treadmill of legalism, and now we're just exhausted. The song says, you built a mighty fortress, 10,000 burden high. Love is here to lift you up, here to lift you high. You come too, it says. For you were once lost, but now you're found. You were once dead, and now you are alive. So this is how we're going to kind of wrap up this message. We're going to move into a time of response for you through song, through, through giving, through communion. But I want you to listen to the words of this, of this next video. This is a song that our band will soon be bringing into the mix, but it's a song by United Pursuit, and it's called Simple Gospel. And this, the words of this song speak so strong to us today. Check it out.
Like many of our best stories, it doesn't have to be the fact to tell the truth. And its ending is left unresolved. Will the older brother remain outside nursing his petty arguments? Or will he come inside to join the big celebration and rediscover his true identity in the family? We find ourselves cheering for him. Come inside, man. Come on, don't hold back. Come in. That word come, interestingly, is the same word we find echoing at the end of the last book in the biblical library. If we enter into this story and let it do its work on us, we can look out from within and see ourselves and all of creation held in the parental love of God. 
We can empathize with God who wants all to come in, all to enjoy the feast, and all to discover or rediscover their true identity in God's family and in God's love. This short parable is one of the best mirrors of humanity ever composed. In it, both the rebellious and the religious can see themselves. But more important, it is one of the best windows into God ever composed because it shows a gracious and spacious heart that welcomes all to the table. Can you see why it is so good and right for us to pause as we walk this road together? To gather around a table and to celebrate God's love. At this table, we look back at Jesus, remembering all he said and did to help us see and enter in God's great feast. And at the table, we we look around at one another, seeing one another and being seen with God's eyes of love. As sisters and brothers, part of one human family. And then no less important at the table, we, we look forward to a festive celebration that beckons us from the future. The story began in God's creative love and it ends in God's created love too. If such an ending can even be called an ending. Perhaps it is most true to say that any story with God in it is a story that never, ever ends. Today, I think we represent two groups of people. Some of us, we've been told that we're not worthy. We've felt shame. We felt that we're, we're never good enough. But today you're invited to come to a table and be known and loved by Jesus. So the invitation is to come. And for those of us, we've been sitting back watching, maybe arms crossed, doing the right thing. Unable to see the other, the outsider, the outcast as an equal. You're invited to come to the table. To lay down your religion and feel the embrace of a father who loves you too. To come. So as the band begins to play, you're invited to to come and participate in communion together. And, And when we're done with the songs... I have a few more things to say and we'll collect this morning's giving, but I want to open the tables and invite everyone who would like to come and take part of communion. So I want to invite you to stand. God, in the next few moments, speak to our hearts. Find us on this journey. Wherever we relate, whether it's the younger brother, the older brother, or somewhere in between, find us and remind us of whose we are and who we are in you, that you love us. And there's nothing that we could do or not do that could separate us from this love. And so as we participate in this table, we're reminded of what you've done for us. We look around and we enjoy those that are with us on the journey as we all look forward to what yet to come. So this morning, it's that. We just come. In your name we pray. Amen.